The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to see you. It's good to be back in the pulpit. It's been a couple of weeks. been a nice little break. I appreciate Shay and did get to go back to Oklahoma and uh, minister to a little bit uh, to the body of Herod Church and it was awesome to see them install their first elder and I got to see my friend um, the pastor and, and his wife um, and just like love on them for a little bit and unfortunately his wife um, passed away on Friday. Um, it's a young guy, he's younger than me and, and just, uh, but thank the Lord, man, she knew the Lord and that uh, she's, she's on the other side and, and he will go to rejoin her. And so anyway, I, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited this morning to be back in service uh, you guys have heard me talk a lot about uh, my brothers uh, from the pulpit and from different stories, and, and you always get confused about one brother, and one of the reasons is because is he moved in the furthest part of the, the corner of Oklahoma that you could move, like all the way down there, and so he's here today. It's first time for him to be here, so if you haven't ever met him, I'd, I'd love for you to meet Mark, uh, my oldest brother and, and his family. They're here and so you'll see them out uh, in the lobby. Some of you got to meet them, but I want to welcome them today and, and thankful that they are here today. Now, here's the deal, man. Um, for those of you who are first-time guests, a few things about me. Like, I love my wife, all right? I just love my wife. I love my kids. Like, I love all of my children. They're awesome. I, I have five kids and, and love being the father of five. And I, I, I love to bow hunt. Like, that's something I really love to do. But Mike, I love tools too, don't you? Amen. Ernie, amen. Can I get an amen from you, Ernie? Amen. And I love tools. Man, a lot of times I'll do a project at the house and I'll think about uh, different things that need to be done. And, and a lot of the ways that I calculate the budget will be like, well, if I pay somebody, it'll cost me this much. And if I don't pay them, I can save this much money and I end up with these six tools. Amen. <laughs> Because I have to have them tools to do the job. Because you have the right tool, you can do, like it makes any job easier. The right tool, it make a, a job so much easier, whether you're working on a car, you're working on, on your house, whatever it is, the right tool always can make a job much easier uh, than it is without it. And so uh, t- today we're, gonna, we're starting this series uh, called No More, No Less. And obviously the word is important at OPCC, like we stand on the word. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I would go as far to say that from a, uh, uh, the perspective of, of the pastor of the church and the vision that God has given me uh, for, for what our church is all about in this community, it's the word. Like, like the community needs to understand the importance of the word of God. And I, I feel like the community is really confused about that. And one of the reasons that I think it's, 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 it's like, it's a challenge for us to become all that God wants us to be is because of how powerful we're going to be when God actually establishes that in the midst of this body. I believe that God is going to do some incredible things in this community through this church, and the reason is going to be, number one, we believe in Jesus, and number two, we believe in the Word of God as the Word of God. And so as we look at that, we preach it. I challenge you to read it all the time. Um, and, and so, so why do I do that? Well, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and, and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us 
by his own glory and goodness. And so what that is saying is that that God has given us everything we need. It's like our tool bag that we need is all that it is all to be found in the Word. And so we are consistently trying to disciple people in that. Like our discipleship model is not Bible studies, it's not small groups. It's hey, you need to learn how to get in the Word. Like that's it. Because when you are in the Word, it has the power to transform your life. And so the the, the title of today's message is Solo Scriptura. Now, what does that mean? It has to do with the sufficiency of Scripture as our supreme authority in spiritual matters. So this is a different kind of series. Like, this is not where I'm just going to work through verse by verse in a book like I did in the last series. I'm going to teach you from uh, the standpoint of, of apologetics, like, how we got our Bible, what is our Bible, and, and we're just going to dive in deep because as you begin to understand what the Word of God is, it does incredible things in, in your life and for your faith. And, and it's no longer like we, we, like we grew up um, in a time, especially uh, uh, my parents and, and, and probably even me when I was younger, um, but certainly my parents, we grew up in a time where um, it, was, it was enough to know what you believed. We don't live in that time anymore. It is not enough to know what you believe. Like you not only need to know what you believe, you need to know why you believe what you believe. Especially your kids need to know this, especially as uh, your kids, if they are in public education or they're going off to university, they had better know not only what they believe, but why they believe what they believe. And one of the things that I uh, am hoping to instill in my children is that they don't just believe in the Word of God because I do, but they believe in the Word of God because they see that it is truth, and they understand how to articulate that truth. They understand how to uh, articulate a position of, of, a, uh, of a Christian and the worldview of a Christian and be able to be in the public square and articulate um, a reason for the hope that they have and who Christ is and why they believe it, and not just that um, uh, uh, being in this place where they, that they're challenged in their faith and they don't have any basis for making an argument or a defense for the gospel. And so, so Scripture, as we look at it, um, and we, we understand this idea of solo Scriptura, uh, Scripture is the perfect and only standard of spiritual truth like revealing infallibly, this is what this means, it means infallibly all that we must believe in order to be saved and all that we must do in order to glorify God. That, no more, no less, is what solo scriptura means. Like everything you need to know what to do in order to be saved from your sin, everything that you need to know and what to do in your life to follow in obedience is in the word of God. No more, no less. So even from the standpoint of a part of our membership, one of the things that we, we, we teach people is like, man, we're not going to expect you to do any more than what the Bible expects you to do. We're never going to ask you to do more than the Bible expects you to do. Why? Because we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. When we're f faced with a decision as a body of believers, we don't go to the advisory board or, or, or to the pastoral staff and say, well, what do you think, man? Who cares what you think? We want to know what the Word says, and the Word will guide us into the place that we're supposed to go. And when we get off track with that, then we start making, um, and we, we start making a departure from our faith uh, itself. And so there are three options, okay? There are three options when it comes to the Word of God. Every human being has to, they're, they're falling in one of these categories. The first option is the Bible 
is the word of God. Like it is the very word of God and, 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 and we'll see and establish that argument, which is the position of this church. The second position is the Bible is the word of man. Like it, it, is, it is the word of man itself. Men wrote it and that's what it is. The third position is a combination of both. It is uh, the word of God and the word of man. And this is the dangerous one. And this is the one in which a lot of ministries in our day and time fall. As a matter of fact, very popular ministries in our category, you can get on their website and you can read it. That's exactly where they're at. That it is the word of God and the word of man. And as we dive deeper into this, what you will see is how dangerous that is because it relies on scholarship to decide and teach people what is the word of God and what is the word of man. I would uh, be inclined to leave it up to Jesus. If God can raise the dead then God can give us his word and he can preserve it as he wants it to be written. And so we fall in the position of that the Bible is the word of God. And so as we, as we, as we like think about who we are as a church, how we're being established in the community, and even as we think and plan, I'm so excited to, to reveal to you guys that the plans, okay? Uh, for, for what we're going to do to the exterior of the building because it doesn't match what's happening on the interior. And when it's time to tell the story of what God is establishing in his body called OPCC. And so like it's, it's at the city and, and the city has already said, hey, yeah, it looks good. You guys can go forward with this. And, and so you say, well, why haven't we seen it? Because we got it out uh, uh, to some contractors figuring out how much uh, it's going to cost. And we don't want to show it to you until we can tell you how much it's going to cost for you to build it. Amen? Amen. It's not a huge building project, but it is going to significantly change how we appear in the community. And that's incredibly important because people need to know, one, God is doing something here. And two, when they just get just curious about what God is doing, they're going to figure out that we are a church that stands on the word of God and stands on the gospel and believing that you need to yield to it and apply your life to it. And so, so that, that's an important part of our journey. But today, all I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an introduction. Okay, And then we're going to dive in over the course of the next few weeks. We're going to drill down on some of these things, and it is going to bolster your faith. And so I'm going to give you some evidence. And here's what I would ask of you, is that you only keep an open mind and investigate the evidence. Because the truth of the matter is that some of you are, are not sure what you believe about the Bible. How do I know that? Just because, I one, I know based on how you live. You're not totally yielded to it. Um, then another reason I know is because I hear things, <laughs> all right? Like, like I hear things all the time, and that's okay. It's okay for you to be wrestling with some things. My job is to fully equip you and give you the confidence to know what you have in your hands as the Bible is the very Word of God. And so I'm asking you to keep an open mind and investigate the evidence because you do not have to commit intellectual suicide to be a, a disciple of Jesus. As a matter of fact, and I'm going to, re, I'm going to, re, I'm going to be re recommending this book to you. I've already got somebody here in the church reading it, and they're enjoying it. And so write this down. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, okay, by Norman Geisler, and I can't remember the other guy's name. Fabulous book. You can get it on audio format and listen to it. You can get it in paper, you know, the hardback, whatever, and read it. But it, it, is, it is a must-read um, for every believer, especially in our day and uh, time, it is a great book. Um, and, 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 
and the truth, the premise that they lay out is that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a disciple of Jesus, okay? So when, when we think about what, now, are we saying it doesn't take faith to, to, to be a, a disciple? Of course it takes faith. Faith um, is, is something that um, is required in order for us to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and become born-again followers of Christ. Okay, so there is a faith element, but it is not a blind leap in the dark, and it does not require intellectual suicide in order for us to be followers of Christ. Christianity is based on indisputable facts, and that's something that the college professor will not acknowledge. That's something you will be challenged by. Uh, He wants to acknowledge all of these other theories of man, but he will not acknowledge the facts of the Bible unless you understand the facts yourself. Sometimes that's what you'll get into a a conversation with people, and they will lean into you about they can't believe that you actually believe that stuff. And you need to be in the position that you can't believe that they actually don't believe it. Like, one of my objectives when I'm dealing with a person who takes that position is they're trying to make me feel stupid for believing in the Word of God. My objective is to make them feel stupid for not. Amen. Uh, because like the, the, we, we look at the Word and, and we see, man, wow, like the Word has incredible evidence back, uh, that backs it up. So, so I'm going gi- to give you a lot of information today. Everybody ready? All right, here we go. What is the Bible? Our English word Bible comes from the Greek word biblia. It means books. The Bible is an account of Judeo-Christian history. What do we mean by Judeo-Christian? The Jews believe in the Old Testament. From Genesis to Malachi, it is the Old Testament book of the law and prophets given by Moses and the minor and major prophets and and the poetry writings. And so we look at the Old Testament and it tells the sacred history of the Jewish nation of Israel. The New Testament tells the Christian history. Well, why don't the Jews accept the New Testament? Because the, New, the Jews rejected Jesus. So they stop at the Old Testament. They believe in the same Old Testament that we believe in. They carry the same Old Testament that we have. They just do not have the New Testament because they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Not all Jews believe that. Obviously, Peter was a Jew, and there are many Messianic Jews today who believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so what we're saying is, as a nation itself, Israel rejected Jesus as a Messiah. And so when we look at the Bible, we see Judeo-Christian history. We see the history of Christians. We see the history of the nation of Israel. It is a collection of sacred writings that tell us about the history of these two people as well as who God is. For the Christian, the Bible is the library of divine revelation. It is God's revelation to man. It consists of 66 different books. There are 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. It was composed by many different writers in three different languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Um, It was written by statesmen, peasants, kings, herdsmen, fishermen, tax gatherers, tent makers, educated and uneducated, Jews and Gentiles. Get this, it was written during a period of time, over a 1,600-year period of time. Over 1,600 years, peasants, farmers, kings, tent makers, tax gatherers, fishermen, Jews, and Gentiles wrote these 66 different books. 
Yet this Bible that we look at has one theme. It is the redemption of man. It is the story of the gospel. It is harmony. So over a 1,600-year period, men wrote stuff that they had no idea how it was going to be included and that it was going to be included in this thing that we call the Biblia that was later recognized by the church. Yet it has this incredible harmony. It tells of prophecies that they didn't know exactly how this was going to come to be, that Jesus would fulfill. And so we look at this and we see, man, the Bible is an amazing piece of work. Like if we we ask a group of doctors um, for a 1,600-year period to to write about medicine, how much harmony do you think it would have? Like they used to bleed people out when they were sick. So one guy would write that and another guy would write something else. And so, But you read the Bible and what does it say? Harmony, 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 harmony. So, well, why, but some people say it has contradictions. We're going to get into that in the coming weeks. I don't have time today, but it does not contradict itself. Anybody who tells you that, that the Bible contradicts itself doesn't fully understand what they're reading when they read the Bible. They don't understand the context in which something is being written. And so we look at this and it has incredible harmony. Now, it's important to understand this term. The term is canon. And so when we say canon, we mean a standard by which we are to measure and evaluate. So when I'm building something, a project, the standard is my tape measure. It is how I build things the right way, right? Or close, (laughs) in my case. And so so we, we have a standard. Well, the canon is the standard when it's applied to Scripture. Canon means a list of accepted books. And so when we look at these 66 books that were written over a 1,600-year period, we use the term that they were canonized by the early church, which means they were accepted. Now, the Bible that we have and we think in these terms, it's real easy to get tripped up here. It's real easy for people to view this the wrong way. So let me give you an incorrect way to view things and a correct way to view things when it comes to how the books of the Bible were were accepted. An incorrect view is that the church determined the canon. So in other words, the church, they got together and they determined, this is what we want to be the word. That's an incorrect view. The church did not determine the canon. The church discovered the canon. The church throughout history just looked and said, that's it. Like, it's obvious that this is the, uh, the Word of God right here. Um, an incorrect view would be the church is the mother of the canon. In other words, the church gave birth to the canon. No, that's not true at all. The church is the child of the canon. As a matter of fact, everything that we do in faith and practice as a body of believers, the church, that we align to the Scriptures, which is the canon of the Scripture. So the church came out of the canon. The church did not give birth to the canon. But people will try to sometimes, people that your friends, as you're talking to them about faith and they kind of get into uh, this debate with you, they will say, well, man, a, a group of men decided. No, no, they didn't. They did not decide. They did not determine. They recognized it. Uh, an incorrect view would be the church is the magistrate or ruler of the canon. The correct view would be the church is a minister of the canon. So even what I'm doing right now is I'm ministering to you as a body of believers what I believe is the canon and what the scripture teaches. I minister from it. I don't, I'm, we are not a magistrate over it. The church is regulator of the, of the canon. The church does not regulate the canon. The correct view is the church recognizes the canon. They see it. Um, an incorrect view would be the church is the judge of the canon. No, the church is a witness of the canon. 
So the church, the body of Christ, the people of God throughout history, they give witness to what is the word of God. An incorrect view would be the church is master of the canon. The church is not the master of the canon. The church is the servant of the canon. And so we have to understand what it means to, for, for, for a, a book that was written by one of these men to be recognized and accepted into what we call the, the, the Bible, the Biblia, and canonized, then it had to go through um, tests. So, so the church throughout history over the 1600-year period had a test that they would give before they would accept something as the very word of God. Here's the test. Did a prophet write the book? Okay. Like, so th- there's test number one. Did a prophet of God write the book? And many of the things that they would look for when a prophet wrote the book is, would, did the prophet write something like this? Thus saith the Lord. For instance, when you read your New Testament and you come across all of these passages where the New Testament writers and even Jesus himself is saying, it is written. Okay. They're referring to the Old Testament. And, and, and they're recognizing it as the word of God, okay? So one of the things when a person begins to debate with you about whether or not the word of God is actually the word of God, you need to ask him what Jesus thought because Jesus definitely believed it was the word of God. Let me talk a little bit about that later. I'm having a hard time not getting ahead, guys. That gets, gets me fired up. Um, and so did a prophet of God write it? So in other words, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, uh, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the fi- first five books of the Bible, the law, Moses wrote. Guess what they, so, so here's, here's the second thing. Was it confirmed by the acts of God? In other words, one of the reasons it was so important for a prophet to have written it because a prophet could act through God. Moses is one of the most incredible prophets of the Old Testament. And what did he do? The miraculous, okay? He was able to do something mere mere men could not do, and so it was recognized that the authority and the power of God was on him. And so the people received and recognized the things that he wrote as the word of God. And so he was confirmed by the acts of God. Did the message tell the truth about God? Okay, this is why even when we go back to the time of Moses and God establishing the nation of Israel, which really the objective of that was to tell the entire world what he is like. When we look to the nation of Israel, we study their history, we can see a message coming from God to all of us. That's why they are the chosen people. What are they chosen for? To tell the world what God is like. That's why you can't stamp them out, because God has spoken a message through them. They are the people of God to tell the people of the world what he is like. And so we look and Moses writes this and he has this miraculous authority or power to do these things and and, and it establishes immediately this is the truth of God. So if another author came along and he wrote something and he said, this is the word of God, and it contradicted what they already had in the word of God that was established by God through the prophet Moses, it could not be the word of God because God cannot contradict himself. He does not lie. So one very important test of scripture would be, does it tell the truth about God? Sometimes you'll be watching um, the History Channel, and they'll do this series about the Bible, man, and, and all these scholars, man, from Purdue and from Princeton and from Harvard, the greatest theological institutions of our day. Eh, whatever. But they will tell you, well, the gospel of Thomas, 
And they'll start talking about the gospel of Thomas. You say, well, I don't have the gospel of Thomas. Why are they talking about the gospel of Thomas? Because they're trying to bring credibility to the position that they want to take. But the gospel of Thomas was rejected by the church. Why? Because it did not tell the truth about God in certain areas, so it could not be the word of God. Therefore, it could not be canonized and recognized by the scripture because it didn't pass the test of telling the truth about God. The third, or the next thing is, does the book come with the power of God? What does that mean? It means that as people read it, as the people of God read this book, does it bring transformation into their lives? That's one of the amazing things about the Bible. The Bible says of itself in Hebrews that it is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And, and it is able to bring about a transformation in our lives, separate the physical from the spiritual. You give a drug addict a Bible and he falls in love with the word and he starts reading it, guess what? He can overcome his addiction. You give a, a, a person who is, is, is a cheater in business and they're immoral and all they can think about is getting ahead and climbing the corporate ladder and they begin to believe that the word of God is the word of God and they start reading it and applying it to their lives, guess what? They change the way they do business. And that's one of the tests of could one of these books be accepted into the Word of God? Did it come uh, with the power of God? And then uh, the uh, other test is, did the people of God accept it? If you remind, I'm reminded of uh, when Paul came through in the book of Acts, and he comes through and he's teaching, and the Bereans did what? They studied the Scriptures to see if what God or what Paul said was true. Before they would accept Paul's teaching, they compared it to the Old Testament scriptures to make sure that it didn't violate the test of scripture before they would accept it as the truth of God. And as, the, as they did that, then they accepted it. And so we, we look and we see like even in the, at the time of Moses, like what happened? Like, this is so cool to me, man. And the more I studied, the more I studied, the more I believe, the more confidence I have, and the more I get excited about the coming kingdom of Christ. All right? That's why I'm always challenging you to be in the Word. It will change your life. And so like the, the, the people during Moses' time, Moses writes the, the, the first five books of the Bible. And what happens to them? They're immediately accepted by the people of God. There is the standard of God. There is incredible, miraculous movement of God. God has only moved miraculously on the planet. There's only three times in the Bible where God will move like he did during the time of Moses. It was the time of Moses when the nation of Israel was being established, which their purpose was for, to, for the seed of the Messiah to come through that nation and for that nation to tell the world what God was like. The second time was at Jesus' coming. That was the second time that was the only comparable time that God moved on the planet in the Bible like he did during the time of Moses. You know when the third time is? Is when Jesus comes back. So those three periods, why it's, it's authenticating the message of God. And so they, during that time of Moses, Moses writes the first five books of the Bible and they do what with them? They place them in that thing that God told them to make, the Ark of the Covenant. They were elevated above everything else. What was the Ark of the Covenant? It represented in the Old Testament the presence of God. That's why the scripture says, hide your word in his, his word is to be hidden in our hearts that we might not sin against him. Because in the New Testament, when we receive Jesus Christ as personal savior, we become the ark of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the word is to be in us. If your Bible is left on the shelf, it has no transforming power for you. But the deeper it gets into the heart, the more transformation it brings into your life. Come on, Lord, man, that is good stuff right there. You say, I don't have time to read my Bible. It's because you're on Facebook too much. Too many YouTube videos. Like too much stuff that's not going to bring transformation 
in your life. I've got six minutes and two pages. Jesus, help me. <laughs> the chief test for new, the New Testament was ap apostolicity. Did it carry the authority and stamp of approval from an apostle? And so, like, that's again why that one book was called the Gospel of Thomas. He knew that he could not, the writer knew that it had no chance of getting accepted in, as the Word of God unless it carried the weight of an apostle, so it's called the Gospel of, Apo uh, of Thomas. And so, like, why was the canon of Scripture necessary? Well, there are just a few reasons real quickly. There was the rise of heretics. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that Paul is already dealing with heresy in the New Testament. He's saying, avoid this, avoid that. He's writing letters. They're being circulated around the church. And so it was to combat the rise of heresy and false teachings about God. The second is for missions, so that the word could go around the world. Um, he says to the uh, Corinthians, after this letter is read here, send it on to the church at Laodicea. Have them read it there. And so even in the New Testament, as we study Peter, we'll see that Peter refers to Paul, uh, Paul's writings, and he equates them to the Old Testament scriptures. So even the apostles, sometimes when they're writing, don't realize that they're giving authority and weight to the scripture being the word of God. And that is because men are being moved and carried along by the Holy Spirit to record what God wants us to have. The third reason is persecution. People were being killed with, for their faith. As a matter of fact, out of the 12 apostles, Judas kills himself. Um, John is the only one who survives. The other 10 are all martyrs for believing what they believe. And so were many Christians during that time. There was a time when, when uh, during the early period of the church, man, there were so many things and enemies coming against it to try to stop it that they needed to know what they needed to know. And so they needed to know what it is that he needed to believe. So it was necessary to have a canon of Scripture. And so that brings us to this point. Why? Should you trust it? She said, man, that's all great. I like that, okay? I understand what canonization means, but why should you trust it? There are several reasons for trusting your Bible. It is not a blind leap of faith. You do not have to commit intellectual suicide to trust it. Here's the first reason. The Bible is the most reliable book on the planet. The Bible, historically, outside of it being a sacred writing, is the most reliable document on the planet. Watch this. It has no equal in manuscript evidence. What do we mean by that? The Bible is an ancient document that was record, written before printing. Like they couldn't print, obviously, like we print now. As a matter of fact, it, we do not have the original manuscripts. We do not have the original one that was actually written in the beginning. So what we have is copies. And the reason we don't have the originals is because they were written on this stuff called papyrus, where they would smash these plants together and form this kind of paper. Like I have a, a Bible in my office that was um, given to somebody. It has a date in the front of it. I don't know what the copyright is on it, but it was given to somebody in, in June of 1887. Man, you open it and it is so brittle. I'm scared to even turn the pages on it. Okay, so it is written on paper uh, from, from that century. But when we get back to the Bible, man, it is written way back on this antiquated process for making paper that they had uh, during this period of time. And so uh, obviously in a, it couldn't survive. Okay, so what, what we have is historians evaluate textual reliability according to two standards. What is the time interval between the original that was written and the first copy? And that's a really important thing because the longer there is an interval of time but from the original to the first copy, the more time there is for legend to be introduced. 
So how many, as we look at some of the ancient documents of the world, and I'm going to give you a few so that we can compare them to the New Testament. Homer's Iliad is a group of, of poems. It was written in 800 B.C., okay? The earliest copies we have of Homer's Iliad were 400 B.C., which gives us a time gap of 400 years. So original manuscript written, and then we have a, a, a copy, 400-year period. We have 643 copies. Pretty good. It's not bad. Herodotus, known as the father of history, first man to ever record systematically a, a, a process for knowing history. It was written in 480 to 425 B.C. The earliest copy we have of the work is A.D. 900, which gives us a time gap of 1,350 years from the original to the first copy. We have eight copies. Plato, philosophy, written 400 B.C. Earliest copy, 900 A.D., 1,300 years of time gap from the first to the first copy, from the original to the first copy. Seven copies. We have no skepticism about any of these works. There is no one in a college, prof uh, a college professor saying, oh, crying out, you should not accept that. That's crazy foolishness. New Testament, written A.D. 50 to 100. Earliest copies, A.D. 130. Time gap, 50 years. Number of copies, 24,900. No comparison. Like There's no comparison in the ancient world to the documentation that we have of the New Testament. So one scratches their head and says, well, why are there skeptics? Because sometimes people don't want to believe that the Word is the Word, because if it is the Word, then you must yield to it. And that is why there are so many skeptics. It is the same reason that people will not yield to the Father right now is they don't want to bow the knee to who Jesus is as the Son of God and lose their lives. They don't want to lose control of their lives. They want to hold on to it for themselves. And so it has no equal. No other book of the ancient world can approach the reliability of the New Testament. The next reason is archaeology backs up the Bible. There was a time when Jesus was coming through town and the people were crying out after they had seen all of the miracles he had done and heard his teaching. They were crying out and calling him king and the Pharisees, man, and the Sadducees were freaking out. And they were saying, man, you need to stop these people from calling you king. And Jesus said this to them in Luke chapter 19, verse 40. Jesus answered, I tell you, these, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. And indeed, the stones have cried out. Nelson Gluick, a Jewish archaeologist, has been known to have said, has been quoted as saying, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. They've never dug anything up that has controverted what the Bible teaches. Amen, Lord. The rocks will cry out. They used to say, scholars used to tell us that David was a mythical character, something of legend, because there was no record of history about King David at all. Until 1993, an excavation unearthed the ninth century tablet with the inscription, House of David. They used to think that Moses couldn't write the, the first five books of the Bible because written language wasn't possible then, but now they know that written language was happening before the time of Moses. 
Time does not permit me to go on, but the rocks cry out. And the more time that goes on and the more rocks that are dug up, the more evidence that we have that we can trust the Bible. The next reason is it's the best explanation for our existence. Like, like there's not a better explanation for the, the reason that we exist than what um, the Bible teaches. And so when someone says, man, you, you really believe that? I mean, one of your first responses would be, well, tell me about what you believe about how we got here and why we're here and what we're supposed to be doing. And you'll be, very quickly after they're finished be able to say, man, you really believe that? <laughs> and so like, it's not a blind leap in the dark. Now, very quickly, let me give you just a few things um, to apply for yourself and kind of where we're going as we unpack all of this. What does the Bible say about itself and how does this apply to you? Since we've established that it is reliable, what does it say? The Bible says it has the power to bless your life. In Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 through 11, the psalmist tells us, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. That's what the word says about itself. That's why you should be in it, man, is that it will bless your life. You shouldn't be in it because you're trying to check off a spiritual box and do what good Christians do. You should be in it because you believe that it will absolutely change your life. The Bible also says that it is the word of God, and we will be unpacking this in the coming weeks. The word of God does not possess the power to bless your life in and of itself. Meaning that just because you own an, a Bible and the Bible is the Word of God, it does not have the power. Like a lot of times in the movies, there's a vampire comes up and you get a guy go to go hold up his Bible. Well, first of all, there's no vampires. But second of all, if there was, they would probably just knock the Bible out of your hand. Because if it's not hidden in your heart, it's not going to do anything in your life. It is not a charm. It's not at the cross we hold up and go, Woo! Demon, get out of my house! He has no place in my house because it is occupied by the king himself. Like, and so like it is not something that is powerful to bless our lives because we own it. Second Peter um, verses one, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, above all, listen to this as the debate rages on about whether or not the word of God is the word of God. Listen to what the apostle Peter, the first generation, like knew Jesus, listen to what he wrote. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What did Peter believe? It is the Word of God. And so like when somebody stands up on a stage and tries to tell you that, well, it means something else, you ought to be looking and going, that is a heretic. Like the Word of God is the Word of God. There is no way around it. The Bible says that it will never pass away. Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. That's what Jesus said. He's not going anywhere until he comes back to completely fulfill it. Interestingly enough, there was a philosopher in the 18th century by the name of Voltaire. He predicted that within 100 years of his time, Christianity would be a footnote in history. 
Ironically, in 1828, 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible Study moved into his house and used his printing press to print Bibles and distribute them around the world. Amen, Lord. Come on. Oh, man, I don't understand how people cannot believe the Bible. The Bible isn't going anywhere until all is accomplished. And then we see that the Bible says that God loves and desires to save you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the Bible teaches, that we were enemies of Christ, and he came to save us. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and, uh, through 11, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What's the big idea? You can trust your Bible. Like, it's, it's not just, like, it's not just a, a book about faith. It has historical relevance. It has indisputable facts. It's a record of history, but it is more than that. It is the story of God to man. Now, what I would say about this, the Bible doesn't talk about every truth. Like, the Bible doesn't say anything about DNA. So, like, it, but it doesn't, like, there's nothing, like, it, it doesn't speak to every truthful issue, all right? but the Bible is truth, okay? So like when we look at it, we can go, man, I can take that. I can hear it as the word of God. So when I get up in the morning, I'm not like just going, oh, I gotta go and read my Bible. I'm going into my study thinking the Lord has something to say to me today and I want to hear it and it's going to come through his word as the Holy Spirit turns the lights on in my life and I receive it and he illuminates my mind and I receive the truth from the pages of the scripture that has been preserved for me throughout time that is the word of God. It has been attacked, it has been tried to be destroyed, but yet it remains the number one best-selling book of all time. Why? Because it is the Word of God. And if anybody with God as my witness and strike me dead in this moment, if anybody says this is not the Word of God, they are a heretic. If they try to tell you that, oh, well, like culturally you have to understand something else, heresy. This, my brothers and sisters, is God's message to us. And if we lose that, we begin departing from the faith. It is the Word of God about you and me and what He has done to transform our lives. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.